Good morning, Journey Church. Good, I want to welcome all of you out. My name is Randy, and uh, if you've not been with us before, uh, welcome. Welcome to our time together. And uh, man, you know, I was sitting there thinking, I just love the people that God puts in our life. I love Bug and uh, just her energy and excitement and, uh, and what she brings to our worship. Hey, how about the cello and the new bass? Uh, is that awesome or what? Uh, Zach? Zach and Zoe sharing with us today, uh, new uh, members on our worship team, but uh, just some awesome sound, and it uh, just really makes a difference as we come together and join uh, instruments, voices, hearts, uh, whatever it may be to the Lord, and uh, we just, we know that that's pleasing unto Him, and we're glad you're here to join us with that today. Uh, here we are, wow, it's uh, feel like, feeling like fall, some of you have gone into the long sleeve sweatshirt thing, I'm holding off as long as possible. Well, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I loved fall. Uh, it was my favorite time of year. And, and primarily, I, I got to tell you another story, uh, primarily because I loved to hunt with my dad. You know, when I was, when I was young, we used to squirrel hunt a lot. Uh, wild game was a big part of our diet. And some of you are going, ugh. Let me tell you what, it tasted like chicken, all right? Seriously, it does, good stuff. But anyway, my dad loved to hunt. My dad was a great hunter. And he let me tag along when I was in a, ki uh, a kid with him. And we would be in the woods before daylight, which is early, but even, I was excited to get up before daylight back when I was a kid. And you know, if you've ever hunted, uh, squirrel hunted especially, you had to be super quiet, which is really hard for a kid. You could not talk, you know, you couldn't do anything uh, when I w went with him. And you had to walk very quietly because a broken limb or twig when you're in the woods hunting sounds like a gunshot going off, you know, and it scares everything away. And so I watched my dad, and, and he would turn around. If I made any noise, he would turn around and tell me to be quiet. So I watched him, and so I literally, as I would follow him to the woods, I would just watch where he put his feet, and I would put my feet there as well, you know, put the toe down first, and then ease the rest of the foot down, uh, walking as quiet as possible. I could never be as quiet as him, but my dad was always patient with me. And he would stop to listen. Uh, I never knew what he was listening for. He would watch. He would look for signs, you know, of... And we'd stop for long periods of time, and sometimes we'd actually see something. Other times it'd be nothing, and we'd walk on, no explanation. But from him, I learned a lot. I learned to see the signs of, of the game. I would see uh, moving leaves in the top of a tree or branches that would shake, or I would hear the crunching of a nut being eaten. I'd watch, hear the, the falling uh, cuttings that were falling down. And also in the process, I watched him, and I learned how to handle a gun safely, which is one of the biggest parts of hunting, to be honest with you. I remember my dad, he always cradled his gun off to the side like this. He had a comfortable way of, of carrying it, and uh, it was always safely pointed in a, in, a, in a good direction, never behind him, never in front. And I went with my dad for many years without a gun until I was finally allowed to carry one. And I was thinking about how much trust it took in me for dad to let me follow him with a loaded gun, you know, as a, as a kid. But again, Dad had taught me to carry it safely, and so I carried mine just like he carried his off to one side. And then there came a time when Dad would say, hey, I want you to sit here and just watch that tree, and, uh, and you'll probably see a squirrel. And he would move on a little bit further off and where he could still see me. My dad was there when I shot my first squirrel, which was a big deal to a kid who's hunting, congratulated me. Finally, the day came when my dad said, you can go hunting by yourself. And, uh, and so I began to just hunt and, and kind of came to love it. And I thought about that. My dad uh, left our home every morning at 4.30 for a one-hour drive to Louisville to go to work. And he liked to sleep in on Saturday. But he sacrificed his Saturdays to take me hunting. 
until the day when I could hunt by myself, and then he sent me, and soon I was supplying the family with meat. And I didn't realize how much work it was or how much went into it until my son started wanting to tag along with me. And so we went through the entire process again with me teaching him, me showing him, me trusting him, and then me sending him out on his own. I don't hunt much anymore. I kind of don't really have time for that. But that just really went through my mind, especially as we're talking about this process of being a disciple who makes disciples. Because there are so many things in our life that we learn simply by hanging out with and watching and being with someone who knows what they're doing. So many things in life. Maybe you don't think about that. In our culture today, we call it different things. We call it parenting. We call it mentoring, we call it apprenticing, we call it shadowing. That's a popular term now, right? Shadowing. But in the Bible, they called it being a disciple. And that literally is the process I just described a few moments ago in learning how to hunt, and that was observation, imitation, delegation. And that's really what we're talking about when we, we, we say that we want to be disciples who make disciples. And so in the study that we're on now for a couple of weeks, we're talking, calling it the path, and we're looking at the simple process that Jesus established and modeled for us. And in our study, and in our model, we use this graphic that we've been introducing, begin, believe, belong, become. And last week, we took some time, and we just looked at the initial phase of the beginning place. We called it begin, where we all start. And we said that, that really is kind of explained with the word a seeker. Someone who is interested, someone who is seeking, who is curious about the claims of Christ, or maybe when someone has something else, something in their life that we want. You know, we may not even know what it is. You, you may be living a life for Christ, and people look at you, and they don't really know that, all about your faith, but they see what you have that they want. They want that kind of peace. They want that kind of hope. They want that kind of love and kindness and that spirit and attitude and gentleness maybe that you're showing in the, in the middle of, of issues. And so when they begin to look at that, they begin to see, I want that for me. And when they begin to discover where it comes from, from Jesus, in the beginning phase, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. And hopefully at some point we cross the line of faith and we make a decision to accept Christ and in so doing, we agreed to submit to Christ or surrender our lives to him, to pattern our lives after him, to place our relationship with Jesus above our own will and desires. And you've got to understand that when you give your life to Christ, you make a decision that will alter the rest of your life on into eternity. It is a decision that will change the trajectory of your life. It may not change your career path and necessarily but it will change the way you do your career and the way you live and the way you raise your family and your kids and, and influence people. It will change everything because you literally have become a new creation. We talked about that last week. And you have crossed from death into life. Ephesians chapter 2 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is the grace of God that saves all of us, only his grace, but he brings us into a new relationship with Christ, and we were once dead, and now we are alive again, and when we start our journey as a new believer in Christ, then the point there is where we move forward in that journey. In fact, the Bible says that we are like a baby in Christ. I love this analogy. It kind of compares it to a person's life cycle. We're a baby in Christ 
And the word that's used here is, is a Greek word, uh, technion, which is a kind of a term of endearment. And it's kind of how you feel toward your child, your, your baby. You know, uh, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but we have a granddaughter named <laughs> Sophie, and uh, she is 10 months old, I believe yesterday, 10 months old, and she is so sweet, so wonderful. We love her so much, and, and that's how God loves us. That's how he views us, is his precious child, uh, you know, and he just has this endearment, this love for us. You know, we all love babies, right? And we love our Sophie, but we don't want ba- Sophie to stay a baby forever. That is not a, there's a problem if a child doesn't develop and grow, right? There's something wrong if they don't learn how to eat solid food and they don't learn how to walk or care for themselves. That's kind of the process of a child growing up until at some point they're independent, they're an adult, and they begin to cycle over again, right? That's why our world continues to populate itself and we grow. And the same thing is true with Christians. This maturing process begins with us as an infant in Christ, a baby, but we're not to stay there indefinitely, that God's calling us to grow and mature in that, and that process is called becoming a disciple or a follower of Christ, who not only can feed themselves and nourish themselves on God's Word and grow, but also be able to invest in the lives of others and create more disciples. That's a process God has called us to, and it takes time for that to happen. It doesn't happen overnight. And and at the beginning of this, it's okay for us to have this eye focus where we are kind of what the Bible calls looking for and taking in the milk of the Word, the basic teachings of God's Word. It's kind of where we began. There are some things in the Bible that are kind of challenging to understand, some things we don't fully understand, but there are some basic truths that we all can easily comprehend. It's the milk of the Word. It's uh, learning about who Jesus really is. So in this time of being a believer... Young believers need to focus on getting spiritual nourishment, seeking to find out more about Christ. And they also need spiritual parents. That's where we come in, guys. Those of us who are a little bit older, people who will invest in them and help them get started with good basic habits and a spiritual diet. That's where the church, I think, can really shine. That's where the church provides opportunities like this this morning. For most of us, this is where we kind of learn about God's Word as we hear it explained through a message or uh, through a teaching lesson of some sort. Or maybe in another setting, we have have classes that are meeting right now or just breaking down God's Word and having conversations, making it practical. We have groups that are meeting throughout the week where, you know, uh, families just sit down, individuals, and just talk about God's Word. Right now, we're discussing kind of this message as we go through it. We're, you know, we're kind of having some questions. Tony provides those and And you get a chance to think about and talk about what I'm talking about and kind of respond to one another. Also, it's a chance for us to to find one-on-one mentoring where we can just share with a person that invests in us personally and and one-on-one. That's important as well. You see, a lot of us know about Jesus. We know of Jesus. But we don't really know Jesus until we get deeper in his word and we really focus on that. And this time of being a believer is a, is a growing time in our, our faith, a, a time of really coming to know who Jesus is. And you know, this is kind of an intimate relationship with him, a close relationship. It, it, it may be even closer than what we think about a friend, in that we don't always share everything with our friend, but we normally do, and the way I think it can best seen is in, in marriage. 
When you're dating someone, you're curious about them, you're going to spend time with them and getting to know them. You might know about them, but you don't really know somebody until you're married to them, right? Until you live with them. Until you share, you know, in finances, you share in, in, in you know, future, career, family, all those things, and we come to really know that person. And so as a believer, we want to come to know Jesus in that way, to have a personal relationship with him, not just know about him. We can read about him, but it's another thing when we come to really know Christ. So this is the time in our life that we need to start deepening that knowledge and that relationship. See, as a Christian, our goal is to come to know Christ in that way. John 17 says, now this is eternal life that you may, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. So the focus is on us really coming to have this close relationship with God. Now, how do we, how do we know God? Well, obviously we know God through Jesus. Jesus is the way and the one who has come to show us who God is. And the only way to do that is to spend time with him spend time with him. And so that's what happened in the life and ministry of Jesus. Again, we're using the life and ministry of Jesus as a model to show us how to not only be a disciple, but also be a disciple who makes other disciples. And so when we look at life of Jesus and his ministry, that's what we see, that Jesus spent the first few months of his ministry teaching and preaching and healing and loving and getting to know people. But then there came a time in Jesus' ministry, about 18 months in, that Jesus would begin to focus on laser sharp focus on a few people. And he would begin gathering a group of men together to whom he would entrust the mission. The most important mission and purpose that the world's ever known. And Jesus was going to hand it off to some, some guys that really didn't have a lot of potential uh, seemingly in the beginning. But as Jesus poured into these men, as he worked with them and, and as he shared with them and taught them during this time of uh, uh, of Jesus' ministry, their lives transformed and changed until the point came when Jesus knew he could leave it in their hands and he, could, and he could go back to heaven. You know, last week we saw that Jesus invited people to do what? To come and see, right? Those who were seeking, he said to them, come and see. Come and see who Jesus is. And so that's kind of the call that people experience in the begin part of their phase of their growth. And uh, his life was lived wide open and transparent for people to see how he lived. But it was the first invitation, the least, least threatening for those. Because when you're coming and seeing, you can observe, you can watch, you know, no deep commitment. You can just check it out, see what's going on. And, and I think we need to have uh, the opportunity for people to know Jesus in that way, see Jesus in that way, innocently, you know, saying, you know, pure, this is who Jesus is. This is who we're called to be. It's the first invitation for those who are beginning their walk. But for those who became believers, he called them to take the next step on their journey, the next step. And I share that because I got a feeling that there's a lot of us here today who are believers, but maybe you haven't taken the next step. Maybe you've given your life to Christ, but you've never really gone beyond that and maybe didn't even know anything was, was out there for, for, for the challenge to come. Let's look at what the challenge is. It's again in John chapter one. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me, follow me. Now, Jesus previously had invited Philip. Remember last week, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He'd invited them to come and see him. But now Jesus decides to leave the area where they were and go to Galilee. And now it feels differently because Jesus is inviting them to take the next step on their journey, to literally leave where they are, go with him, 
travel with him, to stay with him as he traveled throughout Judea teaching and healing. And this was a new thing for them. It was an opportunity for them to see the authentic life that Jesus was living. It was a chance for them to see his passionate love for God, his submission to God's to the Holy Spirit, and his compassion for people. They had only seen a small segment of Jesus' life. Now, he was inviting them to just become totally immersed in his life and his ministry. But they had to follow him to do it. And you know what? Things have changed a great deal, obviously. When Jesus said, follow me, they were so located in a, in a small area that Jesus was traveling. They had to leave a lot. They had to leave behind um, their family, their home, their jobs, you know, everything, they walked away. But when Jesus called them, they knew him, they trusted him, they believed in him, and they followed him. Here's what it says in a parallel scripture in Matthew 4, at once they left their nets and followed him. Now, you know, these guys, most of them were, were fishermen at this point, and that's a pretty confining job. You don't, you know, you can't do that uh, on your computer somewhere else. You know, you got to be right there and and so they had, this was their life, probably their family's life, and they left everything. They left their investment, they left their family, they left their source of income, they left everything, and they followed after Jesus Christ. And that word followed is a pretty important thing because, again, it reverts back to what we talked about last week about the rabbi, when the teacher would lead, his disciples would follow right behind him, walking in his steps, they would literally follow him, and that's what they did. They began to follow Jesus. And Jesus took them to some places they never could imagine. In fact, the first place that's recorded that he took them was to a wedding. Isn't that an odd place to take your new disciples into a wedding? And, and probably some people they didn't even know, so it was maybe a little uncomfortable for them. He took them to a wedding in Cana of Galilee where he performed the first miracle, which was turning water into wine. Now, again, these were fishermen, and they had never seen a miracle. It's almost guaranteed that this was the first one Jesus had done. Nobody else was doing miracles at that time, and so they had never seen a miracle. And Jesus, I'm sure inside, he was thinking, this is going to blow them away. And so, you know, they didn't even seem to have a lot of hand. They were just, they seemed to be bystanders in this. And you know the story, we talked about it a few weeks ago, how the Jesus uh, told them to fill up these large jugs of water and then tasted it and it was turned into wine for a wedding feast. And this miracle kind of reinforced their, uh, their faith, their, their new faith. This is proof that he said who he was because he could do a miracle. And they could not imagine having seen this, but you know what Jesus said at times? He would say, don't be surprised because you're going to do greater things than this. Can you imagine how that blew them away? And they got excited about that, right? And then he took them next to a place called Capernaum, a city where it was kind of his headquarters where his family was. His mother and brothers were there. And they just had some informal time hanging out with his family. You know, they say when you marry somebody, you don't just marry the person, you marry their family too. And they weren't getting married or anything, but believe me, uh, they were going to have a lot of exposure to, to Jesus' family. For example, Mary was Jesus' mother. Obviously, she, I think, maybe became the mother to all of them. They left their parents, they left their, their spouses, everything. And so I got a feeling those guys probably early on needed some mothering. So Mary maybe gave them some of that, you know. Maybe she uh, was there for them. Jesus' brothers and sisters seemed like they were a little bit slow to get on board to follow him. But they, they came to know who, who Jesus' family was. They began to see who Jesus was, his background, that he, he had a solid history and lineage. And then they traveled with him. 
They walked with them everywhere that they went. They traveled. The towns were miles apart. So you can imagine them walking along the road for miles and miles, miles, hours of time together. A lot of nights camping around a campfire, hearing Jesus talk to them and teach them and pour into their lives. Spending time with his family and probably their families and their friends in their homes. You know, it sounds like kind of an odd lifestyle, doesn't it, to us today? Kind of a gypsy lifestyle, just traveling nowhere to stay. Jesus said he didn't have anywhere to lay his head down. He was always depending on God's provision. But it wasn't really like it wasn't a vacation or anything. Jesus was building relationships. He had a plan. He was teaching and modeling his values to his disciples. And he was imparting to them truths that one day they would not only absorb, but they would model again, and they would become the rabbi, and they would share those with other people. And that's how it works. This is what the Apostle Paul said about it. And the things that you have heard me say among many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be qualified to teach them others as well. So that's the model that we have, Jesus teaching, them absorbing, them growing, them learning, and then imparting it to other people as well. And this is why we have the gospel today. I mean, yes, we have the Bible, right? We have the Word of God, but it's not just words written in a book. The gospel is alive and breathing, and it flows through not only the Word of God, but through the people of God. And that's why it's so important that every generation own this responsibility, that we own it not only with our children, but other people that come into our life so that the gospel never loses its joy and enthusiasm and its power, but it also never loses the awareness that people have of it. Can you imagine what would happen if just one generation dropped the ball? Just one generation. If we fail, what will the rest of our world's history look like? That's why it's so important the stakes are so high. That's why we have to get this disciples being disciples, making disciples, pushing it down the line. After that, Jesus led them to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It was there that Jesus met a man named Nicodemus and had a conversation to him about being born again, which I'm sure blew them away again. It seemed like the disciples weren't really involved in some of these conversations, but they were present in almost every conversation that Jesus had, whether it was one-on-one like in Nicodemus or whether it was a public setting in a synagogue, they would be off to one side taking it all in. And no doubt, whenever it was over, they would come back to Jesus. They would have their own questions, and Jesus would patiently explain, answer the questions. He would teach them concepts over and over again until they finally got it, and they began to own it. He took time, a lot of time, to get to know them. He gave them plenty of time to get to know him. And you know what? During this time of of our young Christian life, relationships take time. And it requires that we invest in people personally. Jesus took up to 18 months of focused attention, not just a a couple hours a week, but I mean living with them to develop these relationships. And there was a crucial stage in their life. And being a believer, a young believer, is a crucial time in our life because the depth of their commitment and our commitment will be determined by our early walk with Christ. And I say that again because I think that's important, that the depth of our commitment will be determined in many ways by our early walk with Christ. Because a lot of people come into Christ with a lot of enthusiasm, but they don't get a lot of nourishment early on. And because of that, they kind of lose their joy. And sometimes they fall away. What I've discovered is if we can pour into the life of young believers early in their walk, if they are willing to make a commitment 
to, to, to commit to God's Word and commit to fellowship and commit to study, it makes all the difference in the world for the long haul because we're not in this for a sprint. This is a marathon. It's a marathon. Living for Christ is not going to be completed in a few days, weeks, years, uh, decades. It takes the long view of it. And that's why we have to understand that we need to commit ourselves early in this time of believing and commit to the lives of young believers as well. That's why we're looking at this example. But in this time together, Jesus modeled a lot of principles, but he modeled six foundational principles for them to learn how to grow. And these are important. So I would encourage you maybe, if you're one of those people to write things down, maybe to jot these down because these are, these are timeless. These are not just relevant to this message. These are timeless because this is how Jesus lived his life and how he taught. Six areas that are foundational for us to learn how to grow in our, our walk with Christ. The first one is dependence on the Holy Spirit. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't do anything unless he was led by the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm sure the disciples had lots of random idea. Hey, Jesus, let's have a bake sale. Wouldn't that be awesome? We could get people, we could feed people. You could make the, the cookies, you know, we wouldn't even have to cook them. You could just make them. I'm sure that they had a lot of ideas, but Jesus said, no, that's not how we do it. The Holy Spirit led him. We had to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer. Jesus spends huge blocks of time in prayer with the Father, sometimes all night in prayer, and he depended upon hearing from the Father, being in connection with his Father. Thirdly was obedience to God's will. Jesus was fully submissive to his Father. When he discovered what the will of God was, he didn't try to find a way to put it off or to skirt around it. He just submitted to it. He was led and he obeyed what God said. That was a key principle. Fourthly, the centrality of Scripture. Jesus knew Scripture. He learned it as a child, and he reinforced it with his disciples. I'm sure he was teaching them the, the Scripture. He came to fulfill it, and he, and he laid that out. He talked about prophecies. He talked about you know, the Old Testament history, all those things. He laid it out, and he filled that, fulfilled that uh, through his life, but he pushed how important Scripture was to his disciples, and he would quote the Old Testament. Number five is worshiping the Father. Jesus' life was one of worship and praise. And no doubt, around those campfires, Jesus led them in praise. I mean, they had, we don't have the modern worship songs, even the hymns, but what they had were the psalms. And no doubt, they sang those psalms. They, psalms they would set around a fire, fire. And Jesus would help his disciples learn how to praise and worship. And you know, if you notice the pattern of Jesus in the, in the Bible and his ministry, when they came to a town and it was the Sabbath, where did they go? To the synagogue. They weren't there to worship. And he would, he would teach even in those settings. So it wasn't like these rebels out here were outside, you know, uh, doing their own thing. They were involved in worship. And Jesus was leading them and teaching them in, in the process. And number six is intentional relationships. Again, Jesus was building and forming these relationships. He knew the importance of deep relationships, not only for influence, but also in the modeling process, the apprenticing process, so that the gospel would continue to grow and continue to spread and more disciples would be made. Now, I want to encourage you, I, I told you to jot those down, because these six areas are a great way to evaluate your life, to look at your life and say, how am I doing in in these areas, because this is how Jesus taught people to grow. And if I'm not praying, or if I'm not reading the Word of God, or if worship isn't important to me, or, or if I'm not building relationships, then there's going to be something missing in our growth process. 
Because these principles would form the foundation for the kingdom that Jesus would establish, and they're going to be the foundation for every believer, every one of us moving forward so that we can grow. You see, we believe the model that Jesus gave can't be improved on. I can't tell you a better way to grow than what Jesus showed. No one can. And I think also every church has responsibility to figure out how does this work for them. For us, we believe this model that we have, it kind of lays it out pretty easy. Because in Begin, uh, it's a process of seeking Christ, which is what they were doing, disciples. Believing, you solidify your faith. You start to grow, and you move into your own personal journey of faith toward Christ. And that is a very unique journey. Every one of us will be different. Every one of us will grow differently. Every one of us will, will think differently, mature differently through that. And so what we're challenging to do is say, where do you think you are in the process? Some of you here today, a lot of us, in fact, probably most of us would probably fall in this category of saying that, that this is where we are, that we are a believer. But maybe we're not going beyond that. You know, if we were to use the four chairs that we've talked about before, this would be the chair too. And I think most of us probably would say we're safely in that place. We're not, we're not outside of Christ. We're inside of Christ, but we're not, we're not becoming, we're not the disciple maker that we want to be. So we want to challenge you to take your next step. The path of growth, begin, believe, belong, become. And alongside of these um, phases of growth, there are also three values that we want to add in. Now, you know, values, in my opinion, are the most difficult things to establish. We've sat down many times and we've said, okay, what are our values? And by the way, it's an important thing in your marriage, whatever it may be, you need to know what your values are because that's how you spend your money, that's how you spend your time, whatever you value. And so, you know, when we sit down as a church, leaders, and we say, what are our values? I mean, we can fill a board from top to bottom and several, you know, times wide of our values, but I can't remember very many values. Um, you know, I've told you before, I can remember three things at the grocery store. After that, I have to write them down. So I can only remember three things, and here are the three, uh, not because of that, but, but here are the three that we landed on, all right? Uh, connecting, growing, and sharing. Connecting, growing, and sharing. And so in this time of, of believing, this phase, we think that the value that we learn the best is the value of connecting, that we are connecting. We are learning that not only do we need to connect with Christ, but we need to connect with one another as well, the body of Christ. Why? Because that's where we grow, that we're planted here and we grow within the body of Christ. There is no evidence in the Bible or history of anyone being a Christian without being a part of a church. I mean, that's just the simple thing. And I know there are people of faith who are outside the church, but they need to find a church home to grow in. I would say this, that if you're joining us on Facebook Live, uh, it's a great uh, venue, it's a great way to hear the, the Word of God, but you need to be connected and involved in a church family, not just observing, but be personally involved and connected, because that's an important value to have. Now, what does it look like to connect to the church? What does it look like to connect to the church? Let me throw out some ways I think that we can do that. The first one is faithful weekly attendance. It's showing up and being there. You know, in the early church, the believers would meet probably every day because they knew they needed the fellowship and, and the connection there. Now, we still need that. Obviously, we're not going to meet every day probably together. Uh, we, you know, we don't realize how much we need fellowship, but we really do. But the biblical precedent that's set for us is they met on the first day of the week to celebrate the risen Lord, to observe communion and worship through singing and preaching. That was a part of their worship time. Now, it's amazing 
how our services, how advanced we become technologically and everything else, but that really is still what we do. We still follow that pattern. We come together uh, to, to share with, with one another, to fellowship. We come together to celebrate the risen Lord, to, absorb, uh, to observe communion, and worship through singing and preaching. It continues on. In fact, we have a command in Hebrews 10 that warns us not to neglect that. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, as time goes on, we don't become more lax in that. We become more intentional about that. Because one day the, the end is going to come, the day is going to be here, and we need to be prepared for that. Now, I, I want to tell you, obviously, you may know that in our culture today, church attendance is becoming uh, less frequent. It really is. I want to commend everybody for being here. I'm not I'm just preaching to the choir. I know that. But, but the reality is that church attendance is not as important to people anymore. And can we just be honest about that for a second, really? The God of the creation has given you every minute of your life, every minute that you have. And all of us have the same amount of time. We have seven, seven days a week, 168 hours a week that we can live and do basically what we want. We know we got to work some, we got to sleep some, but we have a lot of free time in there. And the God of the universe asks that you take one day of your week, one out of seven, that's a different day that you don't work and you don't treat that day as much as possible. And I know some jobs are, are, are different. But if you have the ability to take that day to make that the Lord's day. And during that day sometime, he says, take some time to worship me, to come together and fellowship and worship me. And so for a couple of hours, out of 168 hours a week, we ought to come and worship him. We ought to make that a priority. That is not too much to ask of anyone. And the Bible talks about robbing from God. That's one way, way that we can rob from God, is when we take God's time that he's given to us and says, come and just meet with me and my people, and we use that for ourselves. We can do better than that. There are plenty of things on our calendar that we protect. We put it on there, and we protect that they're a priority that we don't miss, and worship ought to be on your calendar, and you ought to schedule around that, everything around that, because this is giving us to God. I'll stop preaching on that, all right? Secondly, we connect with other people by taking part in a, in a small group, or what we call journey groups. In Acts chapter 2, it says all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. As important as a corporate gathering is, there's also a need for us to be in smaller groups and we invite everyone to come and be a part of, of a journey group. We really can't get to know each other in a, in a corporate setting. I mean, we can walk in and we can walk out, maybe speak to a few people. But we really need to be with other people. And whether we like it or not, we need some accountability in that. You know, we really do. We need somebody that's going to say, hey, I want to see you tomorrow night. I say that to our group. I'm going to see you all tomorrow night, all right? We need accountability because if not, we don't show up, right? You know, when Laurie and I first got married and we started in our first ministry, uh, like everybody in new, new couples, we started putting on a little bit of weight. We had a lady in our church down the street, strong personality. Her name was Anna. And Anna said to us, you know, we need to, we need to walk. And, and to me, you know, I'm like, oh, we'll find some time to walk. But no, her time to walk was every morning before daylight. And so we were young and, you know, we didn't want to get up that time. But every morning, Anna would knock on our door. <laughs> time to walk. And we'd get up. we walk with her. We hated it, you know. 
we, we tried to get sick so we could get out of it. You know, we hated doing that. We walked every solitary morning until we finally moved away from there so we could stop walking. No, we didn't. That's not why we moved. But, but you know what? Alone, we would never have done that. But when there was somebody around us holding us accountable, it made a difference. And we needed that. And we all need that in our spiritual walk as well. Thirdly, serving in a ministry of the church. First Peter 4 says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in his various forms. Serving in the church is an expectation. And it's a privilege that God has given to us. Christ served the church by giving his life for it, laid his life down. And we're not asked to die for the church, but we're asked to use the gifts that we've been given to serve and minister to the body of Christ. And so as we serve, we also connect with people. And there's a ton of ways to do that. Uh, and uh, you can connect uh, some of our, our ministry team leaders and our student ministries, first impressions, facilities, uh, a lot of ways to get involved and serve. And then lastly is by practicing generosity. We connect to the church by practicing generosity. It's important, and we give to the church in that way. And we also support the mission of the church by giving our income. Malachi chapter 3 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be enough room to store it. Now, the biblical principle of giving is that everything we have, uh, one-tenth of that belongs to God, a tithe. But we realize that not everybody's at that place in life. So maybe you're here and you've never given anything to the Lord, never given anything and never thought a lot about it. One of the ways that you show uh, not only commitment to the Lord and respect for his generosity, but also connection to the church is by just giving, just making a gift, even if it's a small gift, to do that, to cross that line. Or maybe one of those people that you never give unless there's something specific. And, uh, and I would encourage you to think about the body of Christ, the mission going out and, and supporting that. But that's a way to connect with the body as well as just the Lord. And I would encourage everyone to prayerfully consider how that you can begin giving or maybe take your next step in sacrificial giving to God. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So if you want to connect to him, connect with others, think about your generosity. Well, listen, we're going to wrap up. You know, Jesus said, I want you to follow me follow me. And as a believer, that's what we're trying to do, to follow him a little bit closer. And that, makes, that means we have to give up some things to do it. The disciples had to give up almost everything. I mean, literally, they left their lives and they went and followed. God doesn't ask everybody to do that. But he does ask us to leave anything that keeps us from following him, to lay that down and walk. Following Jesus means we tell him, I want you to be in charge of my life. That means my family life, it means my finances, my business life, my politics, my sex life, my thought life, my friendships. I'm turning everything over to you, and I'm entrusting you with that. That's when you begin to see that you are becoming a follower of Jesus. My prayer this morning is that each of us are learning to do that in a deeper way. And if you want to have a conversation about that, I'm going to be down here. I'm going to be available. Tony will be here as well. We'd love to talk to you about your next step, whatever it may be, in following Christ. Right now, we're going to transition our, our time to a time of communion as we connect with him and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. If you're a believer, we invite you to share with us in this time, and our tradition is that we just walk down to the front, come to the tables, and then return back to our seats. If you're not comfortable coming forward or you'd like not able to, just raise your hand. One of our deacons will provide uh, the communion brought to you. So let's pray together as we go to this time. Lord, 
God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for challenging us. You don't you never leave us alone. You never let us take just the minimum, God. You challenge us to take the next step for you. And because, because God, you gave the greatest gift of all to us, and that's Jesus. And Lord, now as we come and we thank you and thank him for that sacrifice, we just lift this up in praise. And I pray in Jesus' name.